0: A couple years ago, Andy Zalewski needed an office. He works in urban planning, and he lived in Boston at the time. So he rented a space from WeWork, and he was really impressed by their perks.
1: One of the most exciting things was Monday mornings because they had free breakfast, And I remember uh, one of my first weeks, it was like egg and cheese breakfast sandwiches on a fancy bagel, and it was so good.
0: He wasn't so much into the free beer, but the Monday breakfasts, those were his favorite. And Andy says the food was really fancy for years. But then things took a turn.
1: Um, It was more of like a sudden drop-off, I would say. Um, and then by the time I left WeWork, there definitely were some cost cuts. And we were down to um, Wonder Bread with peanut butter and jelly, which was definitely a disappointment compared to what we had at first. So... Probably the worst was they decided it would be avocado toast day. So they had a bag of Wonder Bread and some mushed up avocados. But by the time everyone showed up for work, the avocados got gray. So it was just this like gray avocado bush.
0: (laughs) And this sudden decline in Andy's Monday breakfasts was happening at a dramatic time for WeWork. It was around the time the company was trying to go public in September 2019. Andy started wondering... What was going on at WeWork?
1: I wasn't really that aware before the IPO happened, but, you know, the negative news started piling on um, and it kind of became all we talked about at the office because it was unfortunately sort of entertaining. (laughs) I mean, I didn't talk about it with the staff at WeWork, but amongst ourselves, like, we would constantly share articles and videos and became kind of obsessed by it.
0: Andy wasn't the only person who was obsessed with following the news about WeWork. In the span of about a month, WeWork went from a triumphant startup to a -a once-in-a-generation catastrophe. It was a train wreck that people like Andy just couldn't look away from. You're listening to Foundering. In this episode, we're talking about the undoing of WeWork's big moment, its IPO, Behind the scenes of WeWork's IPO saga, there was a power struggle between two men. First, we have Adam Newman, WeWork's brash, ambitious, and extravagant CEO. And the second man is WeWork's biggest backer, Masa Son, CEO of SoftBank and an eccentric billionaire investor. Masa was betting big on Adam. And as WeWork approached its IPO, he was about to find out if that had been the right call. By the way, we reached out to spokespeople for Adam Newman, WeWork, and SoftBank. They declined to give us a statement. In late 2018, WeWork was in a cash crunch. That year, the company lost $2 billion. They spent about $2 for every dollar they made in sales. So to get more cash, they were considering an IPO. But here's the thing. My sources tell me that WeWork didn't necessarily want to go public. Because when you go public, there are some clear downsides. You have to publish tons of financial information and do quarterly earnings reports. You have a lot of new shareholders to answer to. It can be a huge pain. So going public was plan B. Plan A was getting more money from SoftBank. Adam was pretty confident that he could get Masa to agree to a huge deal. SoftBank would invest $16 billion more in WeWork and would own more than half of the company. And that money would be enough cash to keep WeWork going for a long time. And Masa was interested in doing this deal, too, because he believed in Adam. Here's my colleague, Sarah McBride, who has spent years covering SoftBank and Massa.
2: Masa is actually a very loyal, trusting guy. So there are certain people that Masa just takes to and he thinks the world of like Jack Ma for example and for a while like Adam Newman. and if you fall into that category he just assumes you're a stand-up person who's just going to do the right thing run your business really well and he'll ignore all evidence to the contrary so I think Adam kind of fell into this bucket he basically could do no wrong and Masa just trusted him But already, there were
0: some bad signs, some hints that all might not be well in WeWork land. Sarah told me there was a lot of tension within SoftBank about the amount of money they
2: were pouring into WeWork. So internally, people at SoftBank didn't like the WeWork investment. It was just too much. And nobody internally, or very few people internally, wanted WeWork to get more money, but Masa kept finding ways to do it. So Masa had indicated to Adam that he'd be able to make another big SoftBank investment in WeWork. And Adam was kind of counting on that cash.
0: But on Christmas Eve 2018, Masa gave Adam a call. He had bad news. SoftBank's stock had taken a tumble. Plus, his biggest investors had gotten cold feet about investing so much more in WeWork. So Masa was stuck. He told Adam he couldn't invest the $16 billion as planned. Instead, he was able to come up with only $2 billion.
2: Now, regarding WeWork's own fresh $2 billion in funding from SoftBank announced this week, at one point that was supposed to be as much as $16 billion. The Japanese conglomerate announced Monday it's investing an additional
3: $2 billion in the co-working startup, a step back from the $16 billion investment that would have given SoftBank a controlling stake. Over WeWork. Late
4: last year, they had floated this plan, like, we're, we're going to take over WeWork. We want to be wholly invested in this business. We want an ownership stake. And then the stock market went haywire. SoftBank shares in particular have taken a dive.
0: Masa's decision to backpedal on the investment was a pretty rough setback for Adam. I actually got to speak to Adam about this pivotal moment after Massa had disappointed him, but before the IPO. I asked him how he'd felt when he got that call from Massa. He responded in kind of an indirect way. He told me his superpower is change, which is a very Adam thing to say. He and his wife Rebecca Newman really loved the idea of superpowers. Remember, the mission of their elementary school, We Grow, was to unleash every human's superpowers. Anyway, he said his superpower helped him navigate through his disappointment with Masa.
5: My superpower is change. And change is painful. Change is uncomfortable. you got to be open to feedback. you got to admit things that are not working. you got to say, yes, Masa and I spoke, and we're not going to do the big deal that we were going to do. you got to be comfortable saying, well, what can I learn from that? Is that good or bad? Well, I don't know yet. We'll look backwards in a half a year and measure.
0: I'm not sure if you caught that. But he said that he and Masa were not going to be able to do the deal they'd agreed to. And now, Adam had to adapt and change to move forward. To him, it was a skill he'd spent a lifetime developing.
5: And as I grew up, all of my life, I've had to change a lot. I had a lot of challenges when I was a kid, and being dyslexic forced me to always change how I tried to solve a problem and, and try to do things, but made me embrace it. Change is always slightly painful. But how you change, how you embrace it, how you enjoy the journey, and being willing to do it again and again is what defines an organization, a leader, or an individual.
0: What strikes me about this moment is that this is a pretty vulnerable topic for Adam. He's clearly sad that the SoftBank deal didn't happen. But in classic Adam fashion, he didn't want to focus on his disappointment for too long. He wanted to make sure that I understood that his relationship with Masa was still very strong. You can even hear in the tape that he pounded the table for emphasis. Yeah. Let's talk about so, so, what
5: wow. yeah. Is my biggest investor, they gave me 10.5 billion. Yeah. They're very nice people.
0: But so, but I mean, I think and, it's and the people, thing, yeah. the thing
5: that's overstated a little bit. That's a huge investment, one of the largest ones in history. Yeah. So very, 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 very positive. Yeah. We were contemplating a larger deal, and the world crashed for a second, and Massa felt that things changed yeah. but we're very very happy with where we came to both yes. sides feel perfect Southbank is very comfortable with their total holdings we're very comfortable with their total holdings Yeah, yeah. so very good and my relationship with Massa is, is, has never been stronger because yeah. we had open communication He told me this problem and I told him what I wanted and then he said great that's good for you that's good for me yes yeah. and then we executed on that yeah. and, and I think you can measure relationships in time of challenge
0: so Adam didn't get the money from MASA that he was counting on. But he did get something else out of the deal — a new valuation for WeWork. As part of the investment, SoftBank and WeWork agreed that the company was now worth $47 billion. It's a wildly high number that comes up again and again. $47 billion. — $47 billion. — $47 billion. — $47 billion. —
4: $47
0: billion. — $47 billion? So Adam's company now had this flashy new valuation, but they still needed cash. Because Masa didn't come through, Adam turned to plan B. He decided to go all in on an IPO, whether his company was ready or not. For a few months, WeWork kept its plan secret. And then in April...
4: Office rental giant WeWork is aiming to go public. An initial public offering could take place in September earlier than many investors had anticipated
2: another tech unicorn has filed to go public this time it is WeWork, now known as the we company it has announced that it has confidentially submitted its paperwork to the sec for an ipo it
0: follows several other big money losing companies like uber and lyft that have also gone public this year as well the filings reveal some lofty goals it says its mission is to elevate the world's consciousness to reporters That announcement is like the gun firing at the start of a race. High-profile IPOs like WeWork's are huge news. And once it was clear WeWork was definitely planning to go public, big banks like Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, and J.P. Morgan were lining up to try to get Adam to pick their bank to lead the deal. To help me explain WeWork's wild ride to an IPO, I want to introduce my colleague, Jillian Tan, who covers Wall Street.
3: Yeah everyone was very optimistic a lot of the bankers you know it was on their radar it was something that was sort of going to happen in later 2019 so folks were pretty excited they knew Adam Newman he was obviously known to be one of those founders that had a big personality so folks were very much already talking about WeWork but it was all very much in a positive light
0: and what do banks get out of doing an IPO for a company. A lot of money. So banks charge
3: these companies a fee. It's not that they just want to do it out of the kindness of their hearts. They're earning millions of dollars,
0: hundreds of millions of dollars. Each bank wanted Adam to pick them for this deal. So when they pitched themselves to WeWork, they told Adam numbers that he would be excited to hear. They said that WeWork could go public at huge valuations, as much as $100 billion. Those estimates played a big role in overhyping the WeWork IPO. To explain this a little more, we talked to Matt Levine, a Bloomberg Opinion columnist who used to be one of those bankers who advised companies on going public.
6: Yeah, I was was an equity capital markets banker and I would pitch companies on deals and we would wanna pitch them on deals that they would wanna do.
0: And Matt says that because banks are competing to be the lead bank to take WeWork public, they're incentivized to throw out bigger and bigger numbers even if they're totally unrealistic.
6: You know, the the banker is not on the hook for the amount, for the number, they say. Like, you can kind of make up any number you want and justify it. So if you go to a company and say, we think you could do an IPO at, at a $95 billion valuation, then they'll be excited because they want to raise a lot of money at a high price, and they'll hire you, and then things can go wrong. And you'll say, oh, things went wrong, that's why we couldn't get you the number we originally promised. So you have a lot of incentives to just give people the numbers they want to hear.
0: So that summer, WeWork was prepping for its IPO. And they were really depending on it going well. The company was counting on getting $9 billion from going public by selling stock and borrowing money from banks. And then they released a document called the S-1. It's basically a requirement for going public. Reporters love the S-1. It's like Christmas. We wake up early and wait for it to be released. Because the S1 is full of new information. Profits, losses, expenses, lists of all the ways things could go wrong. These are things companies don't usually like sharing with reporters. But WeWork's S1 was not normal. It dropped like a bombshell. It detailed so many problems within the company. Huge losses, conflicts of interest, weird nepotism. We're going to go through, one by one, the problems in WeWork's S1. I'll start with what will probably be remembered as the most egregious and ridiculous item on the list. Adam owned the trademark to the word WE. Well, technically, the trademark was owned by his holding company. And then, when WeWork wanted to change its name from WeWork to the WE company, Adam sold that trademark to his own company for $5.9 million in stock. This blew my mind. Yeah, that was the
3: probably most outrageous item in the whole S1 that the CEO had taken money out of the company and put it in his own pocket. And the reason that's outrageous is because WeWork had rebranded itself to We and he had profited from that rebranding as opposed to any other normal CEO who would just make the rebranding happen as opposed to secretly owning the trademark when that rebranding happened.
0: Another thing that came up in the S1 was Adam's succession plan, which is that if Adam dies, his wife, Rebecca, gets to help pick his successor, which is very strange. Hugely strange. That's something you might
3: expect for like a blueberry farm operation, right? Like not (laughs) a giant company backed by a huge conglomerate like SoftBank, that the successor is picked by the CEO's wife and two directors who he's close to. Like it couldn't be more rigged if you'd like.
0: Yeah. Usually this is a decision that the board of directors makes independently that's the standard. This was very surprising. It does not usually involve your wife, even if she is an executive at the company.
3: Absolutely. So that's already a sign of undue influence.
0: And just to keep adding to the list, Adam personally owned stakes in buildings where WeWork was a tenant, which means that WeWork, his company is paying him, Adam Newman, rent, which is a total conflict of interest. It means kind of you're on both sides of this transaction. And it's just one of these things that people don't Do. And it was a huge red flag.
3: Yeah. So he was literally buying up these properties and then immediately leasing them to WeWork.
0: So another thing that the S1 revealed was that Adam had 20 to 1 super voting shares, which means he owned shares in the company that had 20 votes while all the other shares had one, which means essentially, even if he owns a small portion of the company, he has voting control of every major decision that company's ever going to make.
3: Investors found the fact that the board had signed off on all of these things, including the 20 to 1 super voting shares, is super worrisome just because it showed a lack of governance at the top.
0: Yeah, it means no one is saying no to Adam. I was wondering, like, all these things point to the same pattern, right, which is that, like, Adam looks at his company as a way for him to, like, grow his prestige and also his personal wealth. It was, it was sort of strange. I feel like I didn't quite understand why it was all set up this way.
3: Yeah. One thing I think was the the word Adam was among the most used words in the whole document. So to excuse the pun, but it's not a, it's not a we, it's all about an I, right? This is about one man. This is his show.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and unlike other S1s, for example, they also refer to Adam by his first name. I think the generous interpretation is that his wife, who was also an executive at the company, has the same last name. But it certainly struck people that it was this whole document, and so much of it seemed to be about this one person, Adam. Who was doing
3: a lot of things outside the company or relating to the company that were not necessarily in his company's best interests.
0: Right, which if you're an investor, you are not excited to hear because you're hoping that the CEO does things to the company's best interest and not to his own.
3: Absolutely. So the number of things that were not kosher from an investor's point of view were just, you know, bountiful.
0: When the S1 came out, it was supposed to be WeWork's big debut. But instead, it landed like a pile of bricks. Analysts and potential investors were combing through the rubble and they were not thrilled. Pundits started writing blog posts about all the warning signs that they saw detailed in the S1. And maybe what scared investors the most was that it was such a bad look. It made Adam look greedy, like he wanted to score points for himself against his own company. Here's Matt Levine again.
6: I like to joke, and I think this is kind of true, that the actual thing that broke the WeWork IPO is the story about Adam Newman selling the trademark for the word we to the company for $6 million, which is such an absurd story of like, of like, poor governance and conflict of interest and, like, not looking out for the shareholders and, like, short-termism and not thinking about the good of the company and not thinking about optics. It's just, like, you tell anyone that story and they get offended. And it's such an easy, like, point to rally around.
0: After the S1 came out, a lot of people were wondering, what was Adam thinking? For what it's worth, a person close to Adam told me that when Adam sold the trademark to WeWork, He was following advice from his lawyers. And a few months earlier, I got to ask Adam about a different conflict of interest, him acting as landlord to WeWork. I asked if he thought that decision was inappropriate, and he gave me a surprising answer. He was a little defensive. Did you think in the end that it was inappropriate to have those holdings for you personally? Do you think
5: it's inappropriate? I think as founders, it's our job to lead into growth and innovate. And I think when you disrupt an industry, if you don't have the care, if I don't put my own money on it, why would other real estate owners ever have the courage to buy it? If I don't think it's a good investment, why would anyone else think?
0: Yeah, but doesn't it make it a little different if you're sitting on both sides of the table? Not I mean. if
5: I'm losing money on the side of the real estate, which is fashion. Not if what I did was purely for the sake of pushing uh, the business up.
0: Okay, so you hear Adam saying here that he lost money. That's actually open to debate, but let me explain some of his reasoning. Adam agreed publicly to sell his stakes in the buildings back to WeWork at cost. So assuming those buildings rose in value, Adam was losing out on the profits he could have made by selling them. At the same time, Adam was still collecting rent. I spoke to two people close to him who told me that Adam was charging below market rates, but one of them said Adam also made a profit on at least one of the buildings he owned. Regardless, Adam acting as a landlord to his own company is a pretty glaring conflict of interest. While I was sitting down with Adam, there was one point he really wanted me to understand. He felt that his actions were justified because he did it to help WeWork grow. He was a founder trying to lead. He said that he had to buy those buildings in order to show other landlords it was a good investment.
5: WeWork wants to develop cities in the future, mm-hmm. but wasn't able to buy anything. Yeah. Uh, funds weren't buying. Mm-hmm. Landlords were talking and yeah. come do this with us. No one was doing it. Yeah. So, OK, if no one's going to do it, we'll do it first.
0: Sure, yeah. sure, 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 yeah.
5: So that's that's why we did it. And I'm very excited that I did it, because if I, if I wasn't able to do it, I don't think we would be today at this stage.
0: I'm excited I did it. If I wasn't able to do it, we wouldn't be at this stage. It's amazing that Adam said this, even after he'd been criticized for this conflict of interest. And after the S1 came out and revealed even more conflicts, a lot of people were asking, why did WeWork think it was a good idea to publish the S1? Well, I heard one theory that WeWork had always been running their business this way and it hadn't been a problem for them before. Here's Matt.
6: Why were they comfortable with those conflicts of interest is an interesting question, right? I mean, part of it is like a lack of self awareness that sort of permeated everything in WeWork.
0: So this aligns with what a few different sources have told me over the years, that Adam is not a detail-oriented guy, that he rarely uses a computer. And there's a second part to Matt's theory.
6: I mean, part of it is that a lot of tech companies had gone public with pretty gruesome governance terms and pretty gruesome conflicts of interest, and the market had grumbled and bought them.
0: Just to give you some more context, Snapchat, for example, had recently sold shares in its IPO that had zero votes. That was unprecedented and seen as a huge power grab by its founders. But Snapchat was such a hot company, so investors held their noses and bought it anyway.
6: And I think if you're WeWork, you think, we're not that much worse in these disclosures than a lot of other companies. And we're better because we're WeWork and we're building community and we're the world's first physical social network. So people who were willing to suck it up and buy Snap... Um, even with bad governance terms, should be willing to suck it up and buy WeWork with, like, ridiculous conflicts of interest.
0: All this backlash made its way over to Masa in Tokyo. At SoftBank, some of his lieutenants had been nervous about WeWork doing an IPO. But for a long time, they hadn't been able to convince Masa that WeWork was headed down the wrong path. Masa had been sure that
2: Adam deserved his trust. Here's my colleague Sarah again. But then when the IPO documents actually became public. And it wasn't just that it didn't go well, people were mocking it, it became a meme, it was just brutal. And so after that, I think Masa was forced to acknowledge a bunch of things he hadn't wanted to acknowledge before that, that he just kind of ignored. Sarah says that Masa also took Adam's bad behavior personally. I think Masa felt betrayed by Adam. I think he'd put a lot of trust in Adam and just expected him to do a good job. And when it turned out Adam hadn't done a good job, it wasn't like, oh, Adam screwed up. It was a personal betrayal. I I think that's just because Adam was in this special category of people that Masa just really believed in. And if you're in that category, you have to live up to it. And if you don't, that's it. So while
0: everyone was freaking out over WeWork's S1, you might be wondering, what was WeWork doing? They were trying to salvage their IPO. Behind the scenes, the company was scrambling to make some changes to try to reassure potential investors. They took Rebecca out of the succession plan. They decreased Adam's super-voting shares from 20 to 1 to 10 to 1, and eventually all the way down to 3 to 1. Adam had to return the $5.9 million in stock that he got by selling the Wii trademark. But it was too late. The damage had been done. According to Sarah's source, Masa started to change his thinking
2: after it was clear to him that the S1 was being received so poorly. The WeWork IPO still seemed like a joke. Something had to happen and Masa and Adam met in Tokyo. And Masa suggested to Adam, that he pulled the IPO. And Adam was basically like, that's not going to happen. So Masa told him at that point, it's going to go very badly. And the meeting ended. And as far as I can tell, that's the last time the two of them saw each other. So Adam left that meeting, determined to keep going down the IPO path. It was after that meeting that Masa probably thought, okay, we need to figure out a way to get this guy, you know, to get him to resign.
0: Masa wasn't alone.
2: Some members of WeWork's
0: board were starting to think the same thing. We'll be right back. Okay, so WeWork was barreling toward an IPO, even though its S-1 had been widely criticized. But the company had a big problem. Adam was meeting with investors, and they didn't want to buy WeWork stock. Here's my colleague Jillian again. He meets investors.
3: None of them are too enthused with what they hear. A lot of the feedback is negative. Nobody wants to buy the company at a valuation of $47 billion. So immediately it starts dropping and dropping and dropping. It ends up looking like a falling knife.
6: The valuation targets uh, are continuing to decline. What I'm hearing is the demand is not
4: there at this point at even 25 billion. The company's IPO valuation could be slashed to 10 to 12 billion dollars, a huge drop from the 47 billion. (laughs) If you're working at WeWork, I don't think this is fun at all.
0: Every day now they're trying to come up with something to salvage this IPO, and I don't know if they're gonna do it. Remember, just a few months ago, bankers were telling WeWork that they could go public at $100 billion. And now WeWork was considering sad numbers like 10 or $12 billion. And this wasn't just hurting Adam. If you think about WeWork, a lot of the employees
3: had stock or promised, they were promised stock options. They thought they were going to become paper millionaires. So the valuation of the company dropping this much, their wealth is evaporating in their eyes. If you think of Adam, he had, you know, already become a paper billionaire, he was very rapidly becoming a much less wealthy paper billionaire.
0: Two things happened next. One, the company delayed its IPO a few weeks. That's a sign the company wasn't feeling ready. And then the Wall Street Journal published a really embarrassing story about Adam. It detailed some of his weirder, more reckless behavior. Probably the most memorable anecdote was about Adam smoking weed on a private plane that was headed to Israel. It had this great first line.
4: Adam Newman was flying high, literally.
0: That's Elliot Brown, the reporter who wrote the story. And he said that Adam hotboxing a jet had gotten the most laughs. But the significance was that the CEO of a well-known company had smuggled a sizable chunk of weed across international borders, which is illegal.
4: It's not that he was smoking pot on a plane. It's that he was bringing it across an ocean to a different country, so much so that the owner of the jet was really freaked out about this and uh, decided to recall the plane leaving Adam to find his own way back.
0: Find his own way back from another continent. The rest of the story had some bizarre details as well. It said Adam had told people he wanted to live forever, to become a trillionaire, and to run for president of the world.
4: This was definitely within this broader concept of a messiah complex that, you know, he, he had these giant ambitions to put, we work around the world and then expand into elevating consciousness. Uh, this is one of those, those messianic really expansive visions that has absolutely nothing to do with subleasing real estate or office space uh, and sort of flows naturally out of his mouth.
0: The story made Adam sound pretty nuts. Among certain circles, everyone was reading it and laughing about it. But you know who wasn't laughing?
2: Masa. Here's Sarah again. The pot thing... It doesn't feel that bad here in the U.S. because so many states have legalized pot and there's this big public debate about whether pot should still be a classified substance. None of that's happening in Japan. Masa is pretty conservative. And so to have one of his CEOs with an illegal substance on an international flight, that's just something he's going to take much harder than it, than perhaps a comparable investor would here in the U.S. So the
0: next week is probably the most momentous week of Adam's professional life. That Wall Street Journal story came out on a Wednesday. Things were getting tense between WeWork and SoftBank. And during this time, Adam was photographed walking barefoot on the sidewalks of Manhattan. The photo was shared widely and mocked on Reddit people held it up as a sign that Adam was losing it. On Friday, Adam piled Rebecca and their five kids into a car. They drove to the Hamptons, where the Newmans owned two houses. As soon as the sun set on Friday, they started to observe the Jewish tradition of Shabbat. That means spending 24 hours unplugged, no technology, no phones, no news. Shabbat ended on Saturday night, And on Sunday, Adam headed back to New York City. A lot had happened while he was gone. That day, stories started trickling out, saying that some of Adam's biggest backers were meeting to discuss how to push him out as CEO. They were turning against him and wanted him out of the company he'd spent the last decade building. And the most painful part of it might have been that even Massa, Adam's most loyal supporter, wanted him to step down. The story said the plan was to remove Adam, and probably very soon. That afternoon, Adam met with Jamie Dimon, the head of J.P. Morgan, who was not only an investor, but also someone Adam considered a mentor. He told Adam to step down. That night, Adam had dinner at a restaurant with a board member and an early investor. The message was the same. Adam, you have to go. What happened the next morning, on Monday, depends on who you ask. Some sources say Adam was calm and spent the day in meetings hammering out the details of his succession plan. Others say Adam was anything but calm, that he started shouting at board members when he realized his time was up. But by Monday night, they had all agreed Adam would go. That evening, Adam returned to his townhouse near Gramercy Park. Inside, there was a group of people waiting for him. Friends, coworkers, people who wanted to be there for him. Someone described it as sitting Shiva, which is the Jewish tradition of grieving. On Tuesday morning, Adam dialed into a conference call. There was no arguing, it was already over. One by one, the board members voted to remove Adam as CEO. When it was his turn, he voted against himself, too. When the company announced it, it was a huge surprise. It's like if you watched
3: Survivor and, you know, one of the main contestants put their own light out and voted themselves off the island. He was exiting himself from the company he created.
0: So Adam is out. Rebecca resigned as well. And almost immediately, it felt like there was a move to wipe the company clean and get rid of everything related to Adam. They closed Rebecca's passion project, We Grow, which was the school they had opened with their own children in mind. Within just a couple days, Several executives who were close to Adam and Rebecca, either through family ties or friendship, left. WeWork announced they were going to close down some of their side businesses and sell off some of their acquisitions. Less than a week after Adam stepped down, WeWork officially withdrew its IPO. Office-based startup WeWork has officially postponed a plan to go public. The decision came less than a week after controversial co-founder Adam Neumann stepped aside as CEO. WeWork is withdrawing its IPO prospectus. They are saying in a
2: statement, we have decided to postpone our IPO to focus on our core business, the fundamentals of which remain strong. Holy cannoli. Has it been a rough quarter for IPOs? How do you see this? Well, I see this as math. Math wins. That's, that's what... And
0: the company? was in a dire situation. It turned out that WeWork was going to be running out of money in just a month or two. So WeWork was planning to do big layoffs, but they were so cash-strapped that they couldn't afford to pay the severance. That's really awkward. You need to lay off a bunch of workers in order to cut expenses, but you can't even afford to do it. Yeah, I don't think we
3: realized how bad it was until that very point that the company was actually going to run out of cash as soon as
0: Thanksgiving if they didn't seek out some sort of rescue package. And SoftBank came to the rescue. They were going to give the company enough cash to keep WeWork from going belly up. But WeWork's new deal with SoftBank also gave them a new valuation. And it was much, much lower than it used to be. WeWork was now valued at just $8 billion. Just to put into perspective how insane that turn of fortune is, just a couple months earlier, Banker said the company could be worth $100 billion. The IPO fiasco vaporized an amount of money equivalent to the GDP of Latvia. And to make things even weirder, SoftBank had invested more than $10 billion in WeWork at this point. So they put in $10 billion to help build a company worth $8 billion. It's almost as if they created negative value. SoftBank used this rescue package to buy up
3: even more of WeWork. So in exchange for the rescue package, SoftBank is set to own 80% of WeWork. Remember, they used to only own less than a third. So right now, they've doubled down on their investment. They basically are WeWork, and they're in the driver's seat about the company's
0: future. So Adam's out, and Masa is in. SoftBank owns a majority of WeWork at this point. And the most notable thing about the SoftBank bailout was that it came with an extremely generous exit package for Adam himself. He had already stepped down as CEO, and now he was agreeing to leave the board and give up his influence over the company. In exchange, he was given a lot of money. It made employees pretty angry. One of them even told me they considered it a platinum parachute.
3: So in exchange for walking away, Adam's getting a $1.7 billion package. And then probably the most outrageous bit to everyone was a $185 million consulting fee that he was just getting cash.
0: Just straight up cash. Straight up cash. Yeah, and employees were pissed. They felt like... Adam was walking away with this chance at more than a billion dollars, and they were likely to get laid off. It, it was just, you know, they were fuming on Slack. There was this channel called IPO Talk and News where employees had been venting about how everything had been going wrong. And we actually saw some messages of it and, and ran a story about it.
3: Yeah, we reported that um, a news article about Adam's golden parachute drew more than 100 thumbs-down emojis from employees. And workers were just really unhappy that we work couldn't even afford to lay them off. But then this guy, their former CEO, was walking away with such a bundle of cash one, someone posted on Slack, so we're too broke to pay employee severance, but Adam gets $200 million. And then another posted a photo of the orphan from Oliver Twist with the caption, please masayoshi Son, can I have some severance?
0: You know, to me, after spending years covering WeWork, which then became the We company and has all these slogans about being better together and being part of a team, it was this kind of dark twist at the end that after Adam burned everything and set the company kind of in flames, he, he walks away with all, this, all these rewards just for himself. It, it really felt like it went against all the things that he'd been talking about on stage for so long.
3: Yeah, he had created such a big, strong sense of community. And then really, instead of it all
0: being about a we, it all became about him. So the WeWork IPO had made a complete 180. It started out as this exciting, hopeful event that everyone... We work employees, bankers, investors, was going to get rich off of. And in just a couple months, it fell to the ground in a fiery crash. And the only person who seemed to walk away with a reward was also the person arguably most at fault, Adam. All of a sudden, Adam had become a legend, someone people recognized and mocked and impersonated. Wanted posters with his face on them even appeared on lampposts around New York City.
3: I went to a Halloween party later that month and there were four Adam Newmans walking around. So, one thing they all weren't wearing is shoes because no, <laughs> he's pretty well known for walking around barefoot. Um, three of them had wigs, one just had the Adam hair down pat, and all of them were wearing these t shirts with the font made by We in different colors that he's been photographed presenting oh, yeah, I know in. Know that. Sure. A couple of them had a cheeky blazer on top, and two had uh, SoftBank checks stuffed in the top pocket. Oh
0: my God. I remember seeing photos on Twitter of. People dressed up as Adam Newman for Halloween. It was just that timing where it was a big news story right in the middle of October.
3: Yeah, I posted a photo on Twitter that Bloomberg TV
0: actually ended up oh using. God. Adam had turned into a huge joke. And what about Masa, the person who once believed in him so earnestly? What was he thinking about all this? About a week later, at an earnings presentation for SoftBank, Massa stood on stage and talked about Adam, He was unusually candid. He said he had made a mistake in judgment.
1: He has many strengths and flaws, all mixed together. I probably focused too much on his strengths. That's something I regret very much. He had many negative sides, and I overlooked many of them. I regret that, especially the governance problems.
0: So Masa said publicly that he had ignored many of Adam's shortcomings, and he regretted putting so much trust and money in Adam. This was a moment when so many people started asking, what kind of person is Adam Newman? Was he an evil genius fooling everyone all along? A failed visionary who couldn't make it work? Or just some guy who lucked into becoming a billionaire? And who was to blame for all this wreckage? A lot of people thought it was Adam's fault, but others pointed the finger at banks and investors for giving him boatloads of money and never holding him accountable. In the next episode, we'll look at the shattered ruins of WeWork's IPO disaster, layoffs, toxic phone booths, another brutal battle between Adam and Massa, and a worldwide pandemic that cast doubt on the entire concept of co-working. next time on foundering. Foundering is hosted by me, Ellen Hewitt. Sean Wen is our executive producer. Maya Cueva is our associate producer. Ray Mondo makes the show today. Mark Millian, Anne Vandermeer, and Alistair Barr are our story editors. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and if you like our show, leave a review. Most importantly, tell your friends. See you next time.